Trust you found your place in the book of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, for the preaching of God's word. Matthew, chapter 9. And I'll be reading from verse 36 to 38. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and verse 36. The Bible says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us. Thank you for coming through for your people time and time again. And even though we face many trials, difficulties, and crises, you're still God. You've been faithful, and you will continue to be faithful. I pray that you would strengthen hearts tonight, and many who are going through trials and challenges, that you would work in all of our hearts to not give up the fight and to know that you are certainly able. And there's nothing that happens without your knowledge and without your allowance, and you're working through it all, the good times and the bad, I pray that you would continue to purify us and sanctify us and make us more like you. And I pray that we would come forth as gold. Use your word tonight once again to challenge our hearts and to accomplish your will as you mold us to be what you'd have us to be. Give me the words you'll have me to say. Empty me of self, cleanse me of sin. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. Let me preach what thus saith the Lord. And I'll be careful to praise you, for you alone are worthy of the honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. The more you and I pay attention to nature and how it functions, the more convinced that we should be that there is a God who is the giver and sustainer of life. You think of the miracle of conception when a human fetus is formed and the subsequent miracle of birth. It speaks to the presence of a supreme being. But think with me as well of the miracle of a seed that is you, that is outside of the earth, or in the right conditions when water and air are present, that seed appears dead, appears dormant. It appears insignificant and worthless. But when placed in the ground, in the soil, in the right circumstance, environment, that seed bursts open and what springs out is a shoot that has life, a shoot that grows, pushes through the earth, and eventually bears fruit after its kind, the kind of seed 
from which it sprung. These simple examples, only two among many that I'm sure could have been selected, indicate that God utilizes human beings to be a part of the process to regenerate and to reproduce life, but make no mistake about it, that the God of heaven, the God of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he is the giver of life. It's no wonder that the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church of Corinth, uses an analogy to farming when he deals with the disunity and the contention that was taking place in, the, in this church when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. The Apostle Paul understood his responsibility in ministry and the need to work with others, but he also knew that without God to add the increase, without God to give spiritual life to what we do, our efforts would be in vain. We've been engaged in a series for a few weeks now entitled A Ministry to Pattern. And the purpose of this series is to bring to our awareness and to allow us to examine what Jesus did while he ministered on earth. How he ministered. And how he, his principles and practices, how they shaped and influenced what we do today by way of ministry. Very briefly tonight, I want to preach a message with a title by way of an instruction. This instruction is to depend on the Lord of the harvest. To depend on the Lord of the harvest. You see, my friends, we can engage in ministry activities. We can engage in programs and innovative ideas with the goal of attracting people. But if God is not in it, it amounts to nothing but a waste of time. I want to draw your attention to our text where Jesus makes a statement regarding the harvest. And we can see clearly the reliance that we are to have on the Lord to be able to reap a bountiful harvest. And so first of all, I want you to notice, draw your attention to verse number 37 as Jesus speaks to the harvest. Clearly he's using the analogy of a farmer who has planted and who has waited for the increase. And he uses this analogy in a spiritual sense as we look onto the fields of souls that are white unto harvest. And notice with me, first of all, the state of the harvest. Look at verse number 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is what? Plenteous. Plenteous. My friend, when it comes to this matter of souls that need to be reached with the gospel, there are people everywhere. The harvest is great. 
did a little bit of research and by way of population, note that in 100 AD, the world's population is estimated to have been 195 million. Fast forward to today, and the world's population is almost 8 billion people. Now, to help you understand that exponential increase, maybe I should equate it in, in the millions, right? So we're talking about an increase from 195 million in 180 to 8,000 million almost today. My friend, the harvest is plenteous. Of the current world's population, it is estimated that 33% claim Christianity. Now, claiming Christianity is different to being born again. Because when you do the research on those who claim to be born again, it is a much smaller fraction than the 33%. So imagine that in Jesus' time, he, he said that the harvest is plenteous. Imagine what he would say now. And what's even more regarding the harvest is that if you pay close attention, a generation is being raised up that knows not God. I said this to our Sunday school class this morning in challenging them to ensure that they know the word of God. That they're depositing within their spirit, in their heart, the things of God. Because my friend, if as a people we are less aware of the word of God and the things of God, imagine those who are to come after us. the result would be an exponential quarter of ignorance regarding the things of God in the wrong direction. Imagine two parents, let's say they decide to have four children, which is far more than people seem to be having these days on average, at least in all parts. But let's just be conservative and say two parents have four children. Hint, hint. And those four children have eight grandchildren to those two parents. Those eight children, grandchildren, have 16 great-grandchildren. That's a total of 28 offspring who if those individuals are not learned in the things of God, those 28 offspring will progressively know less and less about the things of God than their predecessors. It is no wonder that we are living in a day and age where the problems that we are seeing spiritually are worsening with time. My friend, the harvest is truly plenteous. 
There are more and more ideologies and religions that compete for our children's hearts and their minds than ever before. My friend, can you look out into the harvest and see that it is white, it is plenteous. We are not to be fooled into the idea that because we live on a small island with a relatively small population, that people are aware of their spiritual state, that they're aware of their need for the gospel, that because the word Jesus on the name Jesus is a, a, it is a word, that a name that is common, that people understand their need for this Jesus. The harvest, my friend, it is plenteous. But notice, secondly, that what expounds the problem, compounds the problem, rather, that while the state of the harvest is plenteous, notice there's a scarcity of helpers. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There are few people who are available to do the work. My friend, we look around at our churches and it's amazing that especially in the early days of the pandemic, that churches were placed under such scrutiny to be able to meet and to worship. You must make sure you social distance. And you can only meet with so many people in so many square feet. And I remember attending a, a meeting of church leaders and pastors that was hosted by the leadership of the country. And one minister got up and said, with all due respect, churches have been social distancing for years. And so this is nothing new, sadly. My friend, the laborers are few. And with COVID, it has compounded the problem. Ministries and churches are struggling to get people to understand the importance of being back in the house of the Lord. While bars and restaurants and stadiums and concerts are, concert halls are filled, churches are not experiencing the same influx people. I saw pictures of the just, I guess, probably even in progress, music festival. Thousands and thousands of people. They're not flocking to the church, my friend. But here's something else that ought to cause us our thoughts and our minds to be sober. Because the problem is compounded that even though the laborers are few, not everybody who comes to church is a laborer. Within the average church, only a percentage of churchgoers make themselves available for the work of God. 
And my friend, maybe the reason why people don't make themselves available is because it is work. It's no accident that Jesus says, look at who he refers to individuals. What did he call them? Laborers. You know this word laborers? We often use this word for those who are out in the field, maybe cutting cane or uh, the laborers. Listen, my friend, it is work. For those of you who are parents and you have children, you ever experience at times when you know that the children, they may not tell you, but they are running from work? You ever notice your children are running from work? You ask them to wash the dishes. The water is off! And they say it with such glee. They're running from work. I have a test tomorrow! The test was announced three weeks ago. They are running from work. I'm not feeling too well. I have a headache. Running from work. Come home from church and you eat a nice lunch and the dishes are there. I'll wash them later. I need to take a rest. A rest. A resting from what? <laughs> Running from work. My friend, sadly in the church, we have people who are running from work. I mean, there's so many churches, pulpits that need to be filled. We have churches on our prayer list that we're praying for that God would send a pastor. The ministry endeavors that are on the shelf not because there's not a great need, but the laborers are few. There's a scarcity of helpers. But notice, thirdly, the significance of the husbandman. Verse 38, and we close with this. Well, not exactly. I have one more point after this, but our final thoughts would be focused on verse 38. But verse 38 is all about the husbandman. All about the one who is in charge. Notice that the husbandman is the farmer, so to speak. And notice Jesus refers to the Lord of the harvest. Notice some things about the husbandman that, that make him so significant. Understand, first of all, that the husbandman is the owner the owner. This is quite significant. Sometimes you go to an office or you go to a, an institution and you, you interact with a, an employee who is not, you can tell from their response to you, they're not that concerned about good customer service. And you have to conclude that this individual is not that invested in the company. Or else they would have a greater interest in trying to ensure that they don't chase customers and potential customers away. You ever come across somebody like that? 
Because when you talk to the owner, you get a completely different response and perspective. Why? Because they are the owner of the company. My friend, God is the owner of the harvest. He owns the field. He owns the equipment. He is in charge. He's the investor. He's the planner. He employs the servants. He pays the bills. He handles payroll. He anticipates the harvest. He knows what is at stake. He is fully invested in the harvest. So Jesus says, we need to understand with all of the obstacles that face us, a harvest that's great, laborers that are few. He says, I want to draw your attention to the husbandman. Notice he is the owner. But why do you really need to pay attention to him? Because not only he's the owner, but because he's the owner, there's an onus on the husbandman. Look at the verse again. He says, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest. Look at the next few words. That he will what? Send forth. In other words, there is a responsibility placed on the owner. An onus. Because he's invested. He will do something about it. He knows what is at stake. He's the most suitable and appropriate person to do something about the problem. Here's what I'm finding and learning and observing and experiencing. That when many people look at positions of leadership, they see the position. They see the privileges, but oftentimes people don't see the responsibilities. And one of the realities of leadership is that the more responsibility you have by way of your position, the less responsibilities you can shirk. You get that? What I mean by if you are higher up the ladder, you can no longer say it's somebody else's fault. I remember some time ago I was complaining about a problem to another individual who was a part of an institution. And you know what he said to me? His response was, I only work here. What was he saying? He was saying, I'm not responsible. I'm not in charge. I can't fix what you are describing. But when you talk to the owner, my friend, the owner who's at the very top will never and cannot shirk responsibility. The onus is on the person in charge to do something about the problem. Hence, Jesus says, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will what? Send forth. So that's the best person to appeal to. The significance of the husbandman is that he's an owner. That there's an onus placed on him, but notice there's an opportunity. He says, pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send forth, what? Laborers into his harvest. 
Sending laborers provides the opportunity for the harvest to be reaped. It's the basis for the solution. Remember that the problem was that the laborers are what? Few. So the simple equation is that more laborers are needed because of the size of the harvest. Note that the problem is not that there is no fruit to be reaped. But it's a lack of laborers to reap the fruit. And the husbandman is aware of the opportunity that exists. And so by virtue of providing more laborers, the problem will be addressed. And so the appeal here is to understand the significance of the husbandman. Why? We have to depend, my friend, on the Lord of the harvest. Notice finally, in verse 38, Jesus, in appealing to us to understand the significance of the husbandman, makes a simple request. Jot this down, number four and finally. Seek his help. In verse 38, he says, Pray ye therefore. As a result of understanding the significance of the husbandman, let's petition to the Lord. Let's pray to him. Let's not try to do things in our own strength. Let's not find, try to find our own solutions. It just makes sense to depend on the Lord of the harvest. Why? It is his harvest. And to the simple message tonight to all of us, as we engage in this thing called ministry, which really is the task of reaping the harvest, let's ensure that we don't get into our individual silos and figure because of our ministry experience and our intellect that we're going to accomplish this task without the Lord of the harvest. Let's ensure that we depend on him to reap the harvest. Let's rely on him for the ideas, for the resources, for the direction, for the leadership, for the wisdom. And let's pray that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Imagine Jesus, who's no less God, and God the Father is saying to his disciples, pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. And I pray that as we go about doing what God has called us to do, that we will continually seek his guidance, his wisdom, his direction, and pray for more laborers. There's a proverb that we have in our students' companion. Those things still exist. 
that many hands make what? Light work. Now don't tell me there's another one in there that says too many cooks spoil the broad. I know it's there. It's not applicable for <laughs> But we, on a serious note, we do need more laborers. And I trust that the need, it's amazing that as you look out at the harvest, it ought to give you a burden to do your part, to be involved, and put your hand to the plow. There's souls to be reached. Let's endeavor to do our part and to see God's help to see the harvest reaped for God's honor and for his glory.